so very beautiful. I said it at 9 o'clock, and it remains true, that if we are going to speak of God, it is good that we do so in the spirit of worship. Thank you. Jesus did not live and die and rise again so that we would come to church. Does this teaching offend you? It is not my intention, but I am not afraid of offending you because I love you. And even more importantly, I am absolutely certain of the saving love of Jesus Christ, who seeks to love you. And is not afraid of offending you either. It may be offensive in some way, or at the very least, uncomfortable. But the truth is, we don't really hope that it's otherwise, do we? We don't hope that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again so we would go to church. That is not where our hope is found. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to save us. Now, the question of from what and how and for what is a bit challenging. Because you see, it seems that our ideas about the answers to those questions are pretty much really different than Jesus' answers. It's a difficult teaching. We have spent a month moving through the sixth chapter of the book of John, and it is a difficult teaching indeed. Jesus is attempting to speak the truth that he is here to save and what he is here to save us from and how he is to save us and why we are to be saved. But first he must save us over and over again 
from the hopelessness of our own answers to those questions. You remember at the very beginning of this chapter, Jesus was with thousands of people feeding the hungry. Well, actually, what happened first? Jesus noticed that the people were hungry, and he asked the disciples to feed them, and it says to us that he did this on purpose. He said, they're hungry. What are they going to eat? You need to feed them. And the disciples looked out at thousands of people and a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish and were confronted face to face with the fact that they couldn't. Jesus intentionally brought the disciples face to face with their own insufficiency. In the place where they were hungry, in the place where they could see and feel and desire to respond to the hunger of the people all around them, Jesus brought them right into that place so they could see they can't do it. Because as long as they were feeling like they could calculate and figure it out and analyze and orchestrate it, in other words, do it themselves, they would starve to death and everyone else with them in the process. Jesus brought his hope right into the place of their hopeless answers for their own hopelessness in the face of hunger. He said, reach out to each other right here, as impossible as it may seem, as unlikely as you could ever imagine, and guess what? My impossible reality will rise up between you. Yes, it makes no sense, and no, you cannot do it, and that's exactly the point. I live in the places where you cannot do it. Open yourself in your insufficiency, Stop trying to save yourself. Let me save you. And then what happened after that? Well, people were fed, and night came on, and the next day, the disciples were looking for Jesus. They wanted him in their boat, and the people who had been fed are looking for Jesus where they saw him the day before. They wanted to find him where they left him. And instead, Jesus isn't where any of them think he should be. Instead, a storm comes up on the water, and Jesus approaches the disciples in the boat, and they are terrified. And when he sees the people looking for him on the other side, where they least expected, and they say, why are you here? We thought you should have been over there. That's where you were last time. He draws them all face to face with the reality of the hopelessness of their trying to get Jesus, to know where he should be and how he should be. Because as long as they're looking for him where they think he should be, they will miss the reality that he is meeting them right there in the middle of the storm where they are afraid and wondering if they will make it. They are hopeless in their search for him but he is saving in his meeting them right where they are. He came to save them from trying to 
figure him out and put him where he should be so that he could meet them and save them right where they were. And he says to them, you're looking for some relief to your discomfort. You think that what will save you is feeling fed, getting comfortable. You think that what you need to be saved from is your pain. You think that what you need to be saved from is your hunger. And you think bread will make you feel better. And he says, I love you too much to let you live with that illusion. Because you can eat all the bread in the world, but you will be hungry again tomorrow. I will meet you at the deepest place that makes you hungry for that bread, and I will feed you there. What is it you really are yearning for? Remember, we talked about that. What is it that we are yearning for as we are sleeping around and on the computer and eating and working and acting one way and wishing we were acting another? What is it we are really hungry for? Because Jesus wants to give us that. We get in our own way, and he's trying to give us life. And so what happens? They say to him, okay, 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 we get it. What should we do then? What works must we do? And what works are you doing to prove that you're going to take care of us? Tell us, what is the sign? What is the work? We'll look for it, and we'll do it. And he says again, how hopeless is your seeking for outside things, looking to the work and the proof, because there is no need of the work and the proof, and you are looking in the past at what happened to somebody else somewhere else. You're looking at your own past deeds. Don't you understand? It's all dead. It's all dead. Your past is your past, and someone else's answers are not yours. Let me feed you with a living God. You don't have to do anything but believe in me. See me? I'm right in front of you. Take this bread and eat. Let it feed you where you hunger. And still they struggle. And they say, wait a minute. This bread, this bread, I don't get it. We got bread from heaven. Our ancestors did. It was, it was manna from heaven. And he says, do you not understand? I am the bread from heaven. I came from heaven. I am here to feed you. And they say, uh-uh-uh-uh. <laughs> we know who your mommy and your daddy are. You did not come from heaven. We know where you came from. And you did not come from there. He says, how hopeless, how hopeless it is when you continue to think that figuring out where God comes from is something you can do. You think you know where God comes from? You think that God telling you where God comes from is insufficient? You know better than God? As long as you are spending your time trying to figure out who can and cannot show up as the face of God, you're going to miss the bread that they're bringing you. 
all of the ways you rely on your own understandings, all of the ways that you seek and try and comfort and fill and fit this God into something that makes sense to you. Do you not understand you are starving yourselves? There is bread of life for you right here, right now. In fact, take a bite. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Here I am. Eat my blood and my flesh. Well, it was as unsettling or more so then as it is here and now. It was absurd and it was scandalous and it was offensive. Cannibalism, not a good marketing strategy for God. <laughs> But he didn't care because that was precisely the point. He wanted to wake people up to understand, as Reverend Dr. Michael Diaz said last week so beautifully, that the blood that they were not to partake of because the blood was reserved for the life of God alone was coming in through him to be taken into us. He says, yes, it is true. God is no longer outside you. God is no longer reserved for somebody else's rules and regulations. God is no longer something that happened in the past to somebody else. God is no longer something you have to earn and do right in order to experience. God is no longer something that comes and comforts you today but goes away tomorrow. No, this is a living God, present now, eternal life. You can write here and now take it in. Flesh and blood, flesh and blood, flesh and blood. He says it over and over again. Why? To wake us up, and it is us, is it not? To say, I am daring you to have what it is you most desire. Stop settling for less. Stop settling for less. Sarah Miles talks about how difficult it is once we stop settling for less and actually take the bread and start to break it open and share with one another. She says, there is no way that this is ever going to fit back into some nice religious ritual. No matter how lovely, no matter how beautiful, that's not what this is about. She says, I'm gonna have to settle for real communion. Real communion. The kind that shows up unexpectedly it comes wherever and whenever it does. It shows up in people we don't think can be God. It shows up outside of whether we're ready or prepared or we think it's nice and I'm gonna hand you some bread now and I'm gonna ask you to take a piece of it and pass it on and no, you don't know if I've washed my hands and no, you don't know 
if the person before you has. And yes, I'm going to ask you to take it and pass it, and I'm going to ask you to hold it, the piece that you have. And it may require that you get up and move around a little, reach outside of your immediate comfort zone for a moment so that somebody else can have a piece. You may have a piece that has already been taken from horror of horrors. You may have a piece of bread that you do not want to receive. I'm going to ask you to take a piece anyway and hold it. Because it is about real communion, she says. Once we get with people in this way who are hungry, we discover that we are flesh and blood, and sometimes we don't wash our hands, and sometimes we reach out to one another in ways that are uncomfortable, but it's the real deal, that this is real communion. It is intrusive. It is unexpected, it is messy, it is irritating, it is confusing and unfamiliar, just like that woman who interrupts her in the middle of her very important ministry at the food pantry. Real communion will interrupt our lives. Real bread is messy. And so I was thinking about this and praying about this, you already took that bread? <laughs> See, I had a plan on how this was going to go, and you interrupted my plan. I guess you're trying to prove the point for me. All right. Keeping it real. All right. Pass that bread amongst yourselves. So as you're passing, I want you to hold the bread, and I'm going to tell you a story about my friend Louisa who served in the food pantry at MCC New York. Louisa came to me while my partner and I were driving into work earlier this week. She came to me in such a way that I believe that she has probably passed on. Her presence remains very clear with me. She asked me to speak for her. Louisa came from Puerto Rico where she grew up in poverty, illiterate, and as someone with the body of a boy and the gender of a girl. Now, Louisa was a woman of transgender experience, but she isn't one of those women who would ever say, oh, I need to make sure the T is on the L, G, and B. She wasn't out there with picket signs or any kind of way of being political about who she was. She was one of those people who would just say to me, oh, 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 chica, I just always a girl. I just always a girl. T, T, I don't know, just always a girl. She was illiterate, did I say that? She was impoverished, did I say that? She was Puerto Rican and transgender. Imagine her life. She came to the food pantry in New York City to receive the food, and just like many of the people that Sarah Miles talks about in her book, Take This Bread, Louisa stayed to feed others. She just decided, basically, that she was the assistant to the food pantry. She started showing up regular like clockwork. It was a job to her. She showed up in the morning. She did uh, many, many things, anything that was necessary. But first and always, she put pots on the stove before unloading pallets and pallets of cans and huge, huge disbursements of rice and beans. She put pots on the stove before anything. 
And the first pot she put on was wonderful Puerto Rican coffee. Thick, creamy milk, burbling along, wonderful, rich coffee. It was fabulous. And the second pot she put on was soup. No recipe soup. Every day, a pot of soup, no recipe soup. I would say, what kind of soup are you making? Luisa, what kind of soup? It's delicious. She said, it's love soup, baby. <laughs> it's love soup, baby. I would say, what? but what is it? It's love soup, baby. I love and I love and I love and I make this soup. And you eat it and it is love soup, baby. And it was. One time, she pulled me over. Pastor, pastor, come pray with me. Pray with me, hurry. I say, okay, Louisa, okay. She says, I have to cook, but I am so mad right now. I dare not cook. Pray with me so I can love cook. <laughs> she was certain that if she started cooking mad, she would infect everybody through the food because she truly knew that she fed people love with the soup she made. Now, the thing about Louisa is she was just so wonderful. She was so darn annoying. <laughs> no, really, inconvenient. Because as soon as she got in and put on all these pots, she came to get us. Come on, come, come on, come on, come on. You need to stop. You need to stop what you are doing. You are going to eat now. Have some coffee now. No, Louisa, I'm busy. I have phone calls to make. No, 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 no. Phone calls later. Come on, come on, pot's ready. Louisa, I'll come down in just a minute. No, 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 no. You need to eat. You need to eat. No, Louisa, no. <laughs> she was insistent. She was interrupting. She was not convenient. And half the time, I would be slurping down some of that love soup just to shut her up. Thank you very much. Got to go. Thank you very much. Got to go. Give me more and more of that coffee, because i got to go minister, take care of the people. It took me a long while to understand that Louisa was the minister. And she was trying to fit us for ministry. What she asked me to tell you is this. She said, tell the people I did not know how to read. I never read the Bible. Tell the people I was poor and people thought I was a freak. Tell the people I was sad so much of the time. Tell the people my life was hard, but it was still good. Tell the people that Jesus is real and it doesn't depend on knowing how to read, and it doesn't depend on being okay, and it doesn't depend on anything, because Jesus, Chica, is God. It doesn't depend on anything. Jesus is bringing us a hard but so hopeful word. He says, here is what I want. To abide in you. And to have you abide in me.
I want to live in you. And I want you to live in me. I want you to take my flesh and blood, all of what I am, and know that you are worthy to have all that I am. God of the universe inside you. What is it inside you that needs God? Because God will go there. What is it that you need saving from? Because God will save you there. The problem has nothing to do with understanding any of it. It has to do with trying to understand it before we experience it. Jesus did not come and live and die and live again so we would come to church. Jesus came to save us. The last thing Luisa said to me for you was tell them I am not a story. I'm a person and this is real. And tell them Jesus is not a story either. You're holding a piece of bread in your hands. Jesus came and said, into every form of hopelessness we bear. Here. I'm here. Right now. And right here. He can feed us, but he can't make us eat. The hope for us, just as with the disciples, is that we, after trying all these other human ways to do it in ways that make sense to us, we will bottom out, ride along with them, and realize, where else can we go? Here, food for you, amen.